Red Nose Day podcast mashup is back. Acast are bringing you exclusive bonus podcasts from your favorite podcasters to raise money and change lives. There have been incredible mashups featuring shows like Homo Sapiens, Off Menu, Films to Be Buried With, and Football Ramble, to name only a few. But now is the one you've been waiting for the mashup of all mashups with Drunk Women Solving Crime and me. For those of you who previously only had ears for the Drunk Women Solving Crime team, I'm Richard Herring. I'm the host of Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, otherwise known as Rahalastapa. And if you came for Rich, maybe you'll stay for us. We're Drunk Women Solving Crime, and your hosts are me, Taylor Glenn. Me, Hannah George. And me, Katie Wilkins. Drunk Women Solving Crime is a true crime comedy podcast, and the three of us rotate hosting duties. Although we're mashing our show formats together, I'm at the helm for this episode, so let me introduce this week's guest in a style he may find familiar. Our guest for this week's episode is probably best known for the time he gave an impromptu trumpet solo in the Purcell Rooms in London. He is also probably best known for the time that he won £6,000 on Tipping Point, beating Olivia Atwood, who Ben Shepard referred to as his sloppy seconds. And he is finally, comedy rule of three, probably best known for the time when before we started recording this podcast tonight, he spent 20 minutes looking for our child's favourite toy called Fluffy Rabbit. Can you please welcome, it's Richard Herring! Hello. Hello. Oh, Rich, tell what was it like to be on Tipping Point, straight up? It was pretty good. I'd taken the piss out of it a lot on my podcast, Rahalastapa. Rahalastapa. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> Ben Shepherd had got to hear it and was a listener and uh, would direct message me and say how rude I was. And then when, when I went on, <laughs> I was overwhelmed with excitement and couldn't take the piss. I, was, I said I was going to go, oh, yeah, look, it's coming. Like, it's difficult to tell which way it's coming, isn't it? Because of gravity. But I took it. Very, <laughs> I took it. <laughs> I took it very seriously and it was good, except that, you know, I, I got every question right in the final round. I played very tactically. I knocked off the Dead. bloke from, uh, he's from the Crow Road, he's from other things, polled up, maybe I don't know what he's in now. And uh, I got, I got rid of him up. playing ta- tactically. Then I was playing against this girl from Love Island who could nearly won, even though she didn't know the answer to anything. And then I got every single question right in the final round, but still didn't win the big jackpot because foolishly i went for drop zone three rather than one of the ones oh, at the end oh no I'm, drop zone three that's a notoriously yeah. a bad drop zone i yeah. do like tipping point guys i don't know if katie and taylor have sort of glazed over but this isn't going to be the whole podcast i've actually i've i have watched this episode because we let our daughter stay up late to watch <laughs> Rich play. she got really into it actually she was giving you pointers wasn't she <laughs> It was fun. It was really good fun. And it would have been nice to win. It was £20,000 for the big prize, but it wasn't worth the gamble. And I, and I was correct not to gamble because I was too far away. My counter just got stuck. So it was still six, you know, £6,000. So it's still pretty good, isn't it? That's but I won, won £50,000 on the chase. I got ninety. I brought ninety-two thousand pounds back from the board on the chase, and then we all won fifty grand for beating the chaser. But that you're not bad. best known for it. I'm not best known for it, but it was, <laughs> that, was the, that was a better win. <laughs> and I played the trumpet solo in the Purcell rooms when I was 14 years old because the rest of the band had stopped playing and I played an extra note. <laughs> <laughs> so is that like the King of Kings bit? You know, when we're kids and you have to sing that hymn and you never know if it's the verse where you've got the extra King of Kings. No, it was just rubbish. <laughs> I was just bad. And then, you know, I think I was not playing half the time. It was, we were quite a good band, but I wasn't very good. I was third trumpet or something. And so then I was trying, and then I tried to come in at the right time, but I came in late, and I think just with a note that wasn't a note. It was like, <laughs> it's like a sort of comedy thing to ruin at the end. But we weren't an official brass band because we had trumpets instead of cornets, so we were in some special division because they're very... Yeah, for a real brass band, you have to have cornets, and we had trumpets, so we, wow. were, we, were, we were in sort of miscellaneous bands, but we did not win. We didn't get through to the next round. Because that's what music is all about. It's about the winning. <laughs> have, have you ever seen that YouTube video? It's like a brass band playing in a church and someone on the trumpet sneezes and it just goes... Bah! Yes. So good. It's, it's really so good. good. <laughs> well, guys, I had most of the questions about Fluffy Rabbit, but I'm afraid we're out of time now. So We found Fluffy Rabbit. Well, look, where Phoebe, was she? Phoebe, where was she, Katie? You found her. Well, Phoebe found uh, her. Phoebe showed me where she found her in her bedroom. We searched the whole house. <laughs> oh. 
It was the and we should also say at this point, maybe as well, just in case people don't know, Katie and Richard are married, because otherwise oh, it yeah. sounds like Richard comes into Katie's house and helps find random toys yeah. for her daughter. I'm in your attic, Katie. I live in your attic. <laughs> really helpful neighbour. Do you remember when we did that case about the... Um, the man the, in the, the attic? The man yeah, in totally. the attic. Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy... Where was it, Katie? Where was it? Where was Fluffy Rabbit after I looked all around the house? Okay. Or Sophie Rabbit? It the was real by name. the doll's house in the corner under the window. Ah, oh. Of course. Always it's always in their last. room. It's always in their room. This is yeah. what I've learned. And there's always another crevice that you've never explored <laughs> in their room. Fl- Fluffy Rabbit has appeared on my other podcast, Twitch of Fun, being oh, yeah. operated by Phoebe as well. So some people at home will know what Fluffy Rabbit looks like. The big news I've learned recently is that Fluffy Rabbit is actually called Sophie Rabbit. So, you know, that's the, that's what we should be talking about. What, that that's, our child can't talk that, properly? <laughs> Soffy rabbit, not fluffy rabbit. Yeah. Anyway, go on. All right. Richard Herring. Yeah. Have you ever been the victim of a crime? Been the victim of loads of crimes. I've already done two of them with you in the past. One of which <laughs> yeah. when I had my uh, mobile phone stolen by a man on a bike. One I had oh, a yeah. hit when I had a Hitler moustache, go back and listen to that, it was one of the Edinburgh shows. Mm-hmm. When you were on my show, I told you about how I was swindled by a yeah. bogus landlord, which is a very good story. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, worth listening to one. And, yeah, a, yeah. and one uh, something to watch out for. Uh, he yeah. did get caught in the end, uh, which was good, and we got our money back, which was amazing. Yeah. But probably destroyed, helped destroy a relationship that I was in. Well, thank and God, am I thank right, Thank goodness, guys? or we wouldn't know. We wouldn't be here now. And the one I've chosen this time, I've probably got more than this. Katie I was, stole your heart. Come on. Yeah, that's true. Katie stole. I think we've said. I think I've said that one before as well. <laughs> but I was burgled when I was in the house. I used to live in Balham in uh, South London uh, oh, with yeah. the comedian and writer Peter Bainham, Two gorgeous. <laughs> That's what he's best known he's best, for. He's best. He's Peter to walk too gorgeous. He's also gone on to write for Borat. He and wrote write that film Hollywood we films the other day. He did. Ron's gone wrong. He wrote. He's an incredibly successful multi-millionaire now. But at the time we lived in it, we shared a flat in Ballam that we rented. Uh, coincidentally, weirdly, we lived downstairs from the playwright Terry Johnson, who oh, wrote yeah. Dead Funny, and he wrote that play about the. Uh, Carry oh on, gosh. team. He's written lots and lots of fantastic plays, mainly a lot often about comedians, but I think he's branched out. He just coincidentally moved in upstairs. He bought the flat upstairs. Uh, so it was quite, you know, unusually a house in the middle of Ballam with a lot of writers living in it. Yeah. <laughs> and he lived upstairs and he, because he had lots of money from all his plays, he was doing, a, and he owned the flat, oh. which, would, which would have been ridiculously cheap back then. So I was, I would think I was about 31 or 32 at this time. It was maybe right. even younger than that. Because it was when we were we moved in together when I was we were doing Fist of Fun, I think. Is it just you and Peter Bainham? It was me and Peter Bainham downstairs in a one flat and then But Terry just Johnson. the two of you. Yeah. yeah, and Terry Johnson lived upstairs in the other flat. Anyway, Terry Johnson was having the upstairs done up and the builders left the front door. So we shared a front door and then we had separate doors to our flats. Oh. And the builders left the front door open a lot. And I was in the house and I heard somebody at the door, which I assumed was Peter, and he seemed to be struggling with his key a little bit. So as a joke, I thought, what I'll do, I'll go and re- open the door really quickly and, so- and go boo at him. Because so, <laughs> that's the kind of hijinks we got up to. And so I opened the door and uh, this guy fell into the to the flat, right, who wasn't Peter Bainham, who was a little bald <laughs> man who felt sort of 30, 40-year-old man maybe a little bit older than I was at the time. And he'd sort of, he was clever because I opened the door so quickly and and he sort of, in that time, he managed to like fall in backwards as if he'd been leaning against the door. Wow. So he managed to see, so realised he'd been caught, he sort of taught, leaned, leaned on him, fell in and then pretended he was with the builder. He said, oh, sorry, I'm just waiting for the builders upstairs for something, <laughs> you know. Huh. And so I said, oh, okay, fine. But I was suspicious. Uh, so was, that was very smart of him to do that. Right. So I, I shut the door, but then I thought, well, I'll wait by the window to see what, what he does. So I sat in the window at the front to see if he was going to go upstairs or just run away. And he sort of, within a minute, he very shiftly came out and saw me and sort of scarped up the road. So although he did not really commit a crime because he was breaking and entering but didn't get in, mm. oh. he was attempting to burgle you me. Thought- a burglary is what happened yeah. with a classic boo. It's sort of weird if I hadn't <laughs> if I hadn't opened the door, he would have got presumably got in. He was obviously someone who could pick a lock. 
Right. He only had to pick the like the Yale lock because the obviously the, the right. outside door was the one that locked a bit more difficultly. So I don't know what I'd have done if he'd walked into the flat and it was you know, <laughs> and I was just sort of in my bedroom going, "What? Who are you?" And whether that would have, whether if he'd yeah. got in, he would have. I mean, I suppose he was in. He could have, if he was going to be violent, he could have been violent when he fell yeah. into the house. Yeah, you know, I think it was it was just funny to see him sort of look round and then run away after he tried to persuade me that he was something to do with the building. Also, do you know what I'd do as well? If I was going to sort of break into a house, I'd knock first mm. and just go, is there anyone in? Yeah. yeah. Like, it just seems so stupid. Yeah, he didn't even think to check. Yeah, I think he just he just sort of saw the opportunity. I think like cause, <laughs> because the you know, they left the front door open, but I think the door to the flat upstairs was shut. So, mm-hmm. like, it was just laziness on the part of those the builders that they didn't want to have to keep on opening and shutting the outside door, so they just left it open. I mean, it speaks volumes about you as a flatmate, because you're obviously very, very quiet. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, he I was just, just in on my there's own, There's no yeah. one home. Yeah. There's no yeah. one home. So that was close. I'm sure there must be many, many more. I mean, I've been in fights and stuff like that. I've talked about that in a lot. I've done most of the stuff as material, I guess, somewhere down the line, but I don't think I've done that one as material. But yeah, that was a crime. He did not see that coming. That's quite a way to catch somebody off guard. It's like breaking a lock. He he wasn't expecting to break into a prankster's house. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm very... Because he literally fell in backwards, so it was very... It was very clever that he was ready for that because it is, was. Is there any chance weird. that he really was waiting for the builders and, well, he and then backwards? and then decided to run away? <laughs> After, <laughs> no, I don't think there was yeah. any chance. Because no, also right. he was fiddly, he was like he had something in the key I, I, in the key right. hole, which when he fell in, I sort of forgot. But you know, I could hear someone struggling to open the door with the, with a key, so he Rich. was struggling to open the door with the with the whatever they use. What if you really thought you were a ghost, though? <laughs> like, we need to consider this possibility. He ran away because scary times. Because I was scary. Well, maybe he was a ghost. No, do you know what? My Maybe favorite... it was the ghost of someone who lived in that flat before and had a key. <laughs> just like, ooh. <laughs> well, you so released him. <laughs> just say boo and you'll release a ghost. My, no, my favourite thing about this crime is that comedy foiled it. <laughs> 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 Terry Johnson also left his washing machine on and it broke and he flooded our flat as well. That was the other thing that Terry Johnson did. So, oh man, he was a bad, he was a very bad person to have living upstairs. You, don't want, oh, you really don't want that guy above you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a right. great playwright, but a piece of shit. <laughs> People say you should use comedy to, you know, satirize fascists, but you can just satirize burglars. It's the same thing. <laughs> so yeah, we kind of covered this, but if you had the perp, what would you do? I had him. <laughs> I had him in my flat at my had him at my feet Case on the flat. <laughs> I wish I'd challenged him at the time and said, Look, you're obviously not working with the people. Right. Be like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is bullshit. But I was literally just in a house on my own with a man I didn't know anything about who probably sure. was probably trying to steal stuff to, you know, buy some drugs with, I would guess. So it probably was a good job that I didn't challenge him right. as a weak man in his early 30s. <laughs> How dare you break into my flat? I should have asked him where to find some drugs. I'd say, great. you know, you can come in, you could, could have come in and I'd have given you a tenner. You could have had whatever. I'd given you, I'd let you have one thing of your choice from, from Pete's room. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that he's the bloke who used to make, you know, chicken lollies and trifle out of bits of bread and and cherry and jam in our show. So I don't think Pete had much then. I'd yeah. advise him to wait 30 years and go and rob Peter in Hollywood. <laughs> rob him, yeah. <laughs> You've come too early. If you're a ti- if you're a time-travelling burglar from the future, come back in 2022. Yeah, imagine if that guy comes to just buy a share in Peter. I don't know how that would work. Okay, you would gladly share £10 with him. I mean, yeah, we didn't have much. We were renting at the time. We weren't... Uh, we'd been on telly by that stage, I guess, but not. we hadn't really made any money. And because we hadn't made any money, you know, any money we made just went into our debt. You know, we weren't uh, well off. I'd have shared something. I'd have given him a cup of tea right. or something. All right, fair enough. Fair didn't need enough. to run off. Didn't need to treat me as if I was stupid and run as away. It, as if you were a ghost. He could have just said, you got me, mate. I was trying to burgle you. Can I go now? Oh, imagine. So yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you've got me. Every, let's just everyone be up front. <laughs> Drunk women solving crime. Now, we are going to move on to the true crime portion of the Mashup podcast. So this part is going to be very typically drunk women solving crime. I have a case. No one else knows anything about it. I'm going to drip feed some clues and everyone's going to try and work it out. Are you guys ready to solve some true crime? So I pumped. Am. 
I am. I like this because when I listen to your podcast, I always think I can solve it. And, yeah, uh, oh, and excellent. I, and I always get stuff before you guys do. Oh, uh, I, bet, I bet I bet I don't now, but I'm very much going <laughs> yeah. to try. It's a, do you know what? Because obviously we do often have a drink when we're doing this. Sometimes I listen to our podcast and I'm like, oh, well, why didn't I say that? That's a much better answer than what I said. <laughs> so anyway, now you guys, here we go. I'm going to start this case at 1.50am in the morning on the 6th of November. Mm. Two men are returning home from a dance in Northampton. They're going to a village in Hardingstone, but it's near Northampton. Now, they're walking home in their village. They see a fire in the distance. Question, at first, what do they think this fire is? Well, they're in Northampton, probably an alien spacecraft or something, or some (laughs) kind of god. Probably mistake it for. A... Oh wow, he's straight there. <laughs> straight okay. for and the guard. Andrew Collins is from Northampton, who I used to do a podcast with, and you know they're very credulous people. <laughs> <laughs> Those lot of shoes made in Northampton could have been a fire in a shoe factory. Okay, okay, that sounds like an um, expression, doesn't it? It's like, oh, it was hotter than a fire in a shoe factory. <laughs> <laughs> very flammable shoes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what do they think? They think it's a fire. Okay. I you... thought maybe they thought <laughs> oh, it was but... Guy Fawkes. Yeah, night. of course, yeah. Because it's the day after, right? Yeah. That's the kind of thing I would have got before you did the photos. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as easy when you're here, it's, is it's it? It's hard when you're up here. It's like it's a tipping like, it's point. It's just like tipping point, it yeah. <laughs> it's really stressful when you're, in, when you're in the zone. Wait, am I the um... one from Love Island? <laughs> 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 So, yeah, ding, ding, ding. Taylor is correct. They think it's Guy Fawkes night. Now, as they get closer, they pass a neatly dressed man carrying a briefcase. They remark to him on the blaze and he replies, it looks like somebody's having a bonfire up there. As they get closer to the fire, they realise it is not a bonfire. Question, what is it? A picture of a bonfire. (laughs) (laughs) They're just so credulous. (laughs) Someone's a really good artist. A regular fire. (laughs) Regular fire. I think it's a vehicle on fire. Ooh. I think it's I think it's like a, a security van full of gold on oh. fire. Okay, Ooh. awesome answer. Hannah With George, no anything to add before I... Um, I mean, I don't know, like, if it, if it was the Isle of Wight, it would be a Wicker Man. So uh, <laughs> I, I think perhaps I'm going to go Wicker Man or something maybe um, sacrificial is what I'm going to say. Okay. Ah. I am giving it to Richard Herring. Yes. Damn it! Um, With gold, all of it? No. no he was incorrect about the gold Damn and it. the security van, but it was a vehicle. It was a car. Okay. So specifically, a Morris Minor has been oh. set ablaze in a verge at the side of a country lane and the flames are 12 feet high. Oh wow. Goodness. Are you writing this down? No. What, were you, what was that? <laughs> he's, he's keeping just, score. I was wiping something off the table. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's a Morris Minor? One. I can't just let that go by because I've never heard of that. Sorry. Just for our international listeners who may not know, is that a well-known make of car? Is yeah. it a really old make of car? Because we don't know the year yet, do we? Probably 50s, the Morris Minor, but it went... I think people have Morris Minors in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Okay. We're building a story now. Notoriously, I think, like, a district nurse would drive a Morris Minor. There's something about nurses and that sort of thing. Oh... Just blew this case wide quite a, open. Is love it quite Island. a compact, quite a compact vehicle? Maybe I think I don't know if there was a Morris Major. All your vehicles hey. are compact. Oh. Come on. All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's not an American car. That's what your wife that. said to me in the shower this morning. Hey. <laughs> that was for you, Katie. Thank you. I love You're it. You're welcome. Now they found this car on fire, twelve feet flames. Because this is a village, in whatever year we'll get to in a second, they get the local constable and he gets another guy, and then they basically they put the fire out themselves with water from the local pond. And once it is out, they discover something inside the car. Question <gasps> what did they discover? We've ruled this- out gold. <laughs> yes, that's true. So there's only so many things left. Is it a wicker man? In the driving position. Excellent guess. <laughs> a wicker driver. <laughs> a wicker driver. Well, it might be a person. Ooh. Like, well, I think they'll be dead if it's a person. Uh-huh. I mean, anything that's in there is going to be quite badly burnt if the, yes. if the flames are going 12 feet in the, uh-huh. uh, in the air. Yeah. But I would imagine, unless it's a vehicle that's been used in a robbery, in which mm-hmm. case there won't be anything in it, that it's a vehicle Ooh. that's being used in a murder, I would Ooh. guess. Ooh. Excellent instincts. 
Yeah, Taylor. I'm thinking. Sorry, Taylor. Sorry. Go on. No, 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 no. Female, Female workplace <laughs> with Rich. <laughs> <laughs> It's a female workplace. I'll just barge in and answer first, and then you can. Find Actually, Rich, are there any catchphrases you can sing? Uh, have you ever tra- have you ever tried to suck your own cock, at ladies? Can you sing it? <laughs> I don't. Do I have anything? So I mean, I've got lots of singing. I've got from my other podcast. I've got uh. Babushka, Babushka. Oh, oh, That's my. That's from right. Twitch of Fun. Okay, if if female workplace comes up again, feel free to sing that. <laughs> okay. You're all my babushkas. That's so that one. Oh, thank you. Wait, does that mean grandmother, though? <laughs> it is presumably very offensive. Anyway, what were you guys going to say? I was thinking, yeah, maybe there would be something secret. Because I'm thinking about this guy with the briefcase, right? And in the mm-hmm. suit in the middle yeah, exactly. of the countryside. Randomly so, leaving the scene. Is it evidence? Is, is there some evidence in there? So maybe okay. some papers or something. All right, we've got Wicker Man or evidence from Hannah. We've got body f- or t- murder from Rich. What have we got from Taylor? Mm. For some reason, I don't think it's a person, but I can't think of what else it is. There's stuff. Is it stuff, Katie? All right, stuff. It's Excellent stuff. answer. Thanks. A lot of shoes. Loads of shoes. <laughs> from that damn factory that keeps letting it on fire. All right. Burning okay. rubber. I tell you what, I'm afraid I've got to give it to Richard again. Although technically, Taylor, oh, it is stuff. Thank you. It's a body. <laughs> Uh, a a body is definitely corpse. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what cops call it. We found stuff, right? I mean, it's not not stuff. <laughs> okay, right. Trigger warning if anyone is that way inclined. Are you inclined to be triggered? That's the thing. <laughs> I will continue. You've had the warning. The charred remains of the head is on the driver's seat and right. the right arm is burnt off at the elbow and one of the police thought that the head was a rugby ball when they first approached the car. Yeah. Now... Yes, exactly. You mean the pond water didn't work? That's crazy. (laughs) It didn't save this burnt man's life. Now, a wooden mallet is found near the car with three human hairs attached to the head. The fire has pretty much destroyed this car, but the number plate at the rear was still largely visible and not damaged. And the police were able to determine who it belonged to. And it belonged to a man called Alfred Arthur Roos. Now, the two men that had found all this told the police about the man with the briefcase that they had seen and an appeal was also issued in the press for that man to come forward to help with inquiries. Now, what I'm going to do for this bit is I'm going to give you a little bit more forensic information of what was discovered and then I'm going to get you to guess the year, okay? So the things that were found, there was now, there was a forensic examination of the vehicle and that revealed a joint on the feeding pipe between the petrol tank and the carburetor of the vehicle had been loosened before the fire had ignited and that allowed petrol to freely stream into and beneath the car, which indicated that the blaze had been deliberate. Also, spectroscopic tests conducted upon the victim's blood and a microscopic examination of his air passages revealed that the victim had been alive, albeit unconscious, when the fire had started. Mm. Furthermore, he was estimated to have died within 30 seconds of the onset of the fire, and the victim himself was estimated to have been between 33 and 37 years old. Due to the condition of his lungs, he had likely worked in an extremely dusty atmosphere throughout his life. So my question is, what year do we think this is? 52. 52 from Taylor. Because of the um, Milton Berle car. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's sort of got to be around about there, hasn't it? I would say, I don't know when the Morris Minus started. I would, let's go for 62. All right, 62. Hannah George. I'm going to Hannah going to keep the pattern or is she going to go her own crazy way? Hello, with an odd the price number? is right, Hannah. Come <laughs> 1912. 1912. Yes, 1912. <laughs> 1912. <laughs> In that case. Oh, it's earlier than we've said, isn't it? Okay, yeah. I think Taylor is a closest with 52 but the year is 1930 oh yeah yeah that's closer than 1912 oh actually 22 no no it's 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 me via rich though because rich can do maths well rich knows my uh i love the fact my catchphrase on this is 1912 yeah so yes i guess i was closest wow that's much earlier is they had morris miners in 1930 yes they did Wow. wow. Please take any further questions on that subject to Wikipedia. <laughs> now, this car belongs to Alfred Arthur Roos. Roos. He is 34 years old at the time. That checks out. If he is the victim, 
Now, DNA is not properly invented until 1953 and it is not used in a crime case until 1987. Wow. So we do not have DNA in this case at this point. Now, the police go to the wife, Mrs. Rouse, and she lives in Barnet. And she was able to confirm that her husband had left home at approximately 8.30pm on the 5th of November to attend a business meeting in Leicester. And he had arrived home at a time that she believed to be approximately 2am the following morning. He didn't say anything to her. She was then asked to accompany police to Northampton to assist in the identification of the victim. But due to the condition of the remains... Come look at the stuff. Yeah, come look at the stuff, right? She was not allowed to see the body because it was horrible. She was asked to confirm whether she could identify scraps of clothing and a wallet which contained 30 shillings, which had been found on the victim. She stated that the items of clothing looked like those that her husband had worn, but she couldn't be certain, and the wallet had definitely belonged to her husband. So my next question is... Do you guys think this is the body of Alfred Arthur Rouse? Ooh. Just no. to make re- right, no from Richard. Before you guys answer, I just want to recap. It's his car, it's his wallet, it's his style of clothing and age. Yeah, but is it his body? So stick no. with no no from Richard. Because you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't have asked us if it was that we too often. Would I? I think I think Alfred Rouse is the man with the briefcase. Ooh. Oh my god. Oh twist. Twist business, business yeah. briefcase. <laughs> I agree, though. I think that if you're going to do anything like that, if, for example, he wanted to fake his own death, doing it via fire is often mm-hmm. a, a good way of doing it. And interesting yeah. that the wallet survived. Yeah. So maybe, like, did he go, oh, I'm just going to go out and buy a flame retardant wallet like you know i would be interested to know like what it was about and also it's like the 15 shillings they were definitely my husband's 15 shillings like we don't we don't know i suppose yeah yeah also if he started the fire he could have waited for passers-by and then he threw the wallet in last Mm. knowing that he would cry i mean this is ballsy right because he's literally waiting for a witness and then he's just gonna walk by with his briefcase like i don't don't know what it is uh huh. But why does he need a witness? Well, he doesn't. That's because if he's faking that. his own death, which I'm starting to think that's what this case is about, then he wants people to discover this okay. and identify it as, as his body. So he's yeah. done it in a place where it's not so remote that people aren't going to... Do you know what I mean? It doesn't sound like the perfect place to light yeah, a car on fire if got... you don't want it to be found. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Okay. All right, so we've got... It's not him from Rich. We've got it's not him from Taylor, it sounds like. Yeah. And so. Hannah George. Is it his body or not? And I think it is. It's not his body? It's not his body. You guys are all correct. <laughs> it is not his body. You saw the twist a mile away. <laughs> <laughs> now, my next question is, what do you think has happened here? Well, I mean, all sorts of stuff could have happened. But do we know what kind of trouble this guy might have been in? Like what oh, his... We'll get to that. Do your gut feel. I mean, basically, it sounds like you all think he's faked his own death from... You can say yeah, that if he's, you want. He's got the homeless man and killed him. Okay, okay. He's found a homeless man that looks about the same size, rugby yeah. ball-sized head as him. Yeah. Or maybe got a body from a morgue or something. And then he's burnt that. And then he's walked off with his briefcase gone. It looks like a bonfire up there. Yeah. And then run away. And then he's jumped in a car. Oh, no, he's just burnt his car. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, excellent answer. Has anyone got anything to add or that's different from that? I was wondering, is he um, badly in debt? So Mm -hmm. he's faking his death to just Mm -hmm. escape from all of that, start a new life. Because sometimes that's a motive in these cases that we've done. Excellent Or he really doesn't like his wife. He's like, don't you even know what my wallet looks like? It's like you don't even know me. (laughs) Here's 30 shillings for you to live on for the rest of your life, bitch. Yeah. Yeah, Also, you say that he went to a business meeting, was it the day before? Yeah. So maybe it was something to do with that. So I'm thinking that it didn't go very well. Uh, and maybe he's killed his boss or something. He's kind of, ooh. this is a, this is revenge, but so he's like, a, it's also an opportunity. A motivated ooh. murder. Mm. Okay. Maybe because they're exactly the same age and his boss is more successful because that pisses me off about people when I find out <laughs> their age. And I'm like, oh, you're the same age as me, yet you're so successful. It's so annoying. But anyway, please go on. I know. I hear you. I was just thinking about how I used to work in a call centre and my boss was younger than me and like if we needed the toilet we had to wait for our 10 minute break so like I effectively had to ask a 20 year old if I could go to the toilet and I was (laughs) like 23 and I was like really above that (laughs) 
So yeah, I hear you. <laughs> but anyway, now yes, you guys have all got excellent instincts on this. This Red Nose Day, your donation will help people here in the UK and around the world live free from poverty, violence, discrimination, and support them with their mental health. This includes helping people right now in Ukraine and the mass displacement of people in many parts of the world. Head to comicrelief.com slash podcast mashup to give what you can now. So Alfred Arthur Rouse was born in London in 1894. He had an English dad and an Irish mum, but his mum left to be an actress. So he was partially raised by an aunt with his siblings, but he was a good, well-behaved child. He was bright and athletic and he left school at 14. He was an estate agent for a bit. Then he worked in textiles. He was working in carpentry. He did evening classes. He was a good singer and a good musician. He met a girl, Lily Mae Watkins, and he was living his best life. Now, question while we're doing the background, what comes along and thwarts Alfred's plans to continue living happily ever after? Oh, so this would be like 1920-something. The World War One. Yes! Ding, ding, ding! It is World War One. I'm not giving you guys a chance to answer because Richard is correct. <laughs> <laughs> this happened with Al Murray as well. <laughs> we just had to like, yep, yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> At least say, like, he got a fidget spinner or something first. Yeah. Like, come on. I want to know what happened. We're here to solve a crime, ladies. <laughs> Rich can get it right. We're not no, here to have fun. No time for humorous <laughs> answers. <laughs> that could be the pull quote for this episode. We're not here to have fun with Rich and Eric. <laughs> now, World War One comes along. So he enlists voluntarily. He marries the fiance in St. Albans. Near where we are in Hertfordshire. Oh, nice. Isn't it lovely? And then he goes off to France. Now, he served with distinction at this time, but he also fathered an illegitimate child. Ooh. So, yeah, swings and roundabouts. Just now, very spending loads of his time now because he's got this kid that he has to look after. Yeah. Oh, mate, <laughs> hold that thought. So it is a little flash of what's to come, but mm. we've kind of already touched on this with Taylor's suspicions about debt. So anyway, Rouse's unit was then committed to the Battle of Festibert in Artois, which began on the 15th of May in a bayonet attack Rouse came face to face with the German shoulder and he lunged at him but he missed and he has this traumatic memory of like waiting for this guy to then attack him back and apparently that stayed with him for the rest of his life and his sleep was plagued by nightmares and today we would call that PTSD but then he gets sent to the Battle of Festibur and there's an explosive shell which injures his head, knee and thigh. He's got loads of fragments of shrapnel in his head and his leg. He's unconscious. Hmm. Because of his injuries, he gets hospitalised for a year. He has lots of operations on his temporal lobe region ah. and his leg. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Taylor's being a psychologist. <laughs> I can hear it. Yeah, you are correct. That's Taylor. all I did. Oh. <laughs> I'm all literally all here funny. going like... Temporal lobe is on an ear, right? <laughs> but it's fine. But like, also, I'm totally projecting onto Taylor. She might not be being a psychiatrist. Oh, it's so meta. But yeah, basically, there's head trauma. So he couldn't bend his knee beyond a certain angle. Uh, he gets discharged in 1916 and he's awarded a military pension of 20 shillings per week. That is significant. That Ooh. 20 shillings a week is good. It sure would be a shame if anything was to happen to that. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, don't worry, it's fine to start with. He was severely disabled at this point. They're not going to take a pension from a disabled person. They're not monsters. They let him recuperate a bit first. So he's in Stoke Newington with his wife. Is this Lily they... May still? Yeah, he's with okay. her. But he's had this child in France. Yeah, that child is just off in France. We actually, that was a mislead. We don't hear from that child again. Okay. For this story. Okay. They actually raise the pension 25 shillings because his sleep is so bad. And then he does start making progress. So from 1917, the doctors, well, they basically start not believing him about the dizziness. God, I wish somebody would pay me more because my sleep was bad. That would be a sweet I deal. Know. Just throwing that in there. <laughs> it's just not would, how it works. I would be a millionaire. <laughs> that would be the best. I mean, I know it's serious because it's a military pension, but still. Now, they're putting it down to neurosis and his pension gets lowered to 12 shillings. And then he signed off completely in 20... Do you know what? I've written 2020, but it's 1920. <laughs> <laughs> what, it's what pretty good going. Like? 
<laughs> he finally gets signed off and then there's the bloody pandemic. <laughs> and now he still can't work. But his knee's a lot better. He can move again. His head has healed. So he gets back out there. My question is, what activity does he throw himself into? And there are three main ones. So go nuts. What does he throw himself into? He's back out there. Ooh, I want to say something like ultimate frisbee. Okay, I love it. Is and it? You're, you're not far off for one of them. Is it playing oh, wow. the trumpet, finding Fluffy Bunny? <laughs> <laughs> what am I like? We don't, do we know enough about him to guess what he would be doing? No, go nuts. The sky's the limit. Well, it's kind of leisure, is it? Leisure does he do the Charleston? Do you get him to do the Charleston? Okay, it, the, the, the roaring you, 20s kick you, in? Ooh. We are in the roaring 20s. That is a hard dance with a tricky knee. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All you guys know about him is that he had lots of different interests and he fathered an illegitimate child. Mm-hmm. Does he fuck loads of women and have yeah. illegitimate children? That's what I'd do. Okay. <laughs> in the 1920s. In the, sure, not now, right? Yeah, not, not now. In the, not in the 2020s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he becomes a fuckboy. Right, yeah. Right. Well, so, I'm wondering if there's been this huge personality change with the head injury. Yeah. So if he starts actually doing something that's way out of character, although it's hard, it's hard for me to say what that that is because we just you know we know only so much about him. But if it yeah. was like you know what I'm gonna say, archery. Okay. <laughs> I don't Do you know, know why. You know, frisbee and archery. I'm giving you guys a point. One of the things wow. is he joins a tennis club. Oh, okay. okay. I feel like that's the same thing. I'm giving I'm <laughs> as archery or as frisbee. Which which do you think that's closest to? It's similar to both. Jesus Christ, don't play tennis with Katie. Do you know what? Rich will never play tennis with me again. Katie's not very good at tennis. You'd be better if you had a bow and arrow, though. Yeah, that's true. Imagine that. 15 love, motherfucker. But do you know what? It's like a sport hobby thing. He's getting active. Yeah. Uh, He's enjoying his body. Mm. Um, Giving Rich a point and Hannah a point, he turns into a fuckboy. Right. Okay. Oh, well done, guys. And he the the third thing is he gets a job, well, sort of like mechanical vehicles initially and then travelling, sort of salesman driving and then travelling. So okay. he's like a sort of a door-to-door salesman. And, but basically he starts having lots of affairs. He presents himself as single and ready to mingle. That's handy when you're a door-to-door salesman. You know, you can kill two birds. Absolutely. He kills lots of those types of birds. Starting with... What was he... Spe- was he, like, selling spunk? What was he doing? Do you know what? He sells different <laughs> things. He starts off in sales with car-type stuff. Okay. And then over the next few years, he ends... I'll get to what he's selling, but to start I with... I have it's... not heard the word spunk in a very, very long time. I just want to no. thank Love Island over there. <laughs> for bring that that word up. The villa is absolutely caked in it. So it's, if you uh, say bonk yeah. later, then you win the <laughs> retro bingo. That's just two nineties. <laughs> okay, now get ready to be slightly grossed out. He seduces a fourteen-year-old girl, no. knocks her up, and abandons her to give birth in a home for unwed mothers. Oh dear. Yes. In 1925, he begins an affair with a domestic servant called Nellie Tucker. Now, she is significant because she is the first of many women to actually obtain a child support order. Uh Uh-huh. And now what is horrible about this, other than the whole paedophile sort of sex with underage children thing, is that he would typically target women from poor socioeconomic backgrounds. So he's this sort of flashy traveling salesman and he promises to marry them. So it is classic fuckboy stuff, as Hannah has said. And he actually does bigamously marry a few of them. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he, but he, you know, he's travelling around and he's never there. So by 1929, he's got this quite well-paid job selling braces and garters. You were interested in what he was selling up and down the country. Now, he's got a mortgage with wife number one and a six-year-old son with her. And so that's sort of okay. But the other child support starts mounting up and he has to form a plan. Okay. In 1930, he buys a Morris Minor. Oh. And he draws a life insurance policy for £1,000 in his name. Oh. You can't claim on yourself, though. <laughs> I'm, wow. I'm dead, I guess. You can't go, I'm, I'm dead, can I have my £1,000? This £1, is a pounds, great please? point. And presumably wife number one would get it, or he puts it in another name that he's also got the ID for. I'm not right. sure exactly how that would work, but that's a good point. Wouldn't he have control over however she holds oh, her finances, though? Wow, it's only going to be one bank. Dead. Account, they probably whack it into the the family bank account, which is really his. That's true. She probably doesn't have enough rights. That's a good point too. 
Because or just like her brother just inherit all his money, like because like you can't trust. Where's the woman. nearest man? Yeah, where's the where's, nearest man? Where's We're gonna give this money away? <laughs> yeah. Or does the six-year-old son get it? Who knows? Now, my next question is because we're basically sort of back up to date. Mm-hmm. So 2020. You, yep. With you. <laughs> <laughs> now, you guys have touched on this, but who do you think the man found in the car was? Ooh. Well, okay. Rich said a, a homeless person. And it Rich sounds like homeless. he was very unscrupulous about anyone who was having a hard time. So, yeah. It seems like that would stack up. Uh huh. I can't help. said boss, but you guys, might, yeah. now that you know the background, you might want to change your answers too. Well, I can't help thinking oh. that if he's selling braces, and did yeah. you say what else was he selling? Gar- garter. So he's actually meeting these women through what he does as well. Like, but like braces are for men, right? Yeah, but garters, garters yeah, are for ladies. Garters yeah. are for women, though. And that's how you get with the ladies. Go, you want to try him this garter? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> To put it up on your leg. That's right. Is this reminding you of your first date, mm. Katie? Wow, I'm <laughs> so turned on right now. <laughs> yeah, let's have a look at the other leg. Ooh, that's what this I would is... do. I Guys, we need. We... It's a good. Can I'm right making this podcast. I'm so hot. <laughs> <laughs> the point is now put on some braces. Mm. <laughs> Even better. That's right. <laughs> Guys, and as much as I want this to really see out how far it'll go, I also think that potentially <laughs> what I was thinking is was he the husband of Nelly Tucker or something like that? Because presumably what I'm saying about the braces is that, you know, you don't knock on a door knowing if it's gonna be a single woman, but what if you think, for I have a bit of that, realise she has a husband, she's like, Well, I wanna be with you, why don't we knock him off as you? So I think it might be linked to somebody that he's Excellent got pregnant. Excellent guess. That Excellent is a good guess. guess. And what it turned on to be like, I'm worth a thousand pounds if I kill somebody and yeah. make it look like me. I can only really do what any of my on. proper thinking when uh, Rich and Katie are flirting. So um, <laughs> we're going to need more of that if you want anything else from me. It's just like a real detective <laughs> situation. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, okay. I think it's got to be someone he doesn't know, hasn't it? Otherwise, it's too easy to trace back to him. So I think he's just... Okay, yeah, you're sticking with... I'm going with an itinerant or a cadaver that he's procured from somewhere. Although you said he was still alive, right? The the suggestion... Yeah, he was still alive in the car. That's right. right. So pretty much ruled out... Not a a cadaver. ruled out cadaver. So presumably somebody maybe that he's got in the car with him to sort of drive to this spot... Yeah. Unless he's like tied him up, and you know, you kind of presume that he yeah, is no someone he knows. Of, uh, you know that kind of thing. I was just thinking, did he literally say like, "You can have a drive if you want, so get into the driver's seat"? You know, do you know what I mean? Because like, I'm thinking <laughs> that he must be sat in the driver's seat, right? So, <laughs> oh, I just spilt yeah, petrol on you. Oh, oh, I've sp- dropped my cigarette on you. Sorry. So it, the, it was a decapitated body, right? Well, we don't know if that was because of the fire or because of him, but yes. When they found it, it was. Well, it can't have been de- decapitated if it that's was alive. That's true. Yeah, just, Detective yeah, just because that's, a, that's an extra brutal... You don't need to do that to kill somebody. So there's an element of brutality that maybe doesn't stack up with all this. Okay. I'm going to get a stranger, kill him because he looks like me and light the car on fire. Why would you decapitate a body unless you're okay. sadistic? And yeah. Nobody who plays tennis is that sadistic. <laughs> You know, <laughs> unless it's archery tennis. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, very Hunger Games, to be fair. But yeah, no, that's all I got. Okay. All right. Well, good instincts. It was a man he met in a pub. Mm. And wow. this is very sad. This person is still to this day literally unknown. Wow. Oh, no. And I will get to some oh, no. more details about that. But wow. for now... So Rouse was literally, as you guys have touched on, on the hunt for somebody of a similar build to him. And on the 3rd of November, he meets this guy and this unknown guy was down on his luck and he made some comment to Rouse along the lines of no one would care if he lived or died. So Rouse, yeah, absolutely like uh, horrible. Rouse promises him a job in the Midlands and that he'd pick him up en route to that job on the 5th of November. Mm. And he later said that he chose the 5th of November on purpose for the literal smokescreen of the cover of mm-hmm. Bonfire Night, delaying detection. And he gives this unlucky unknown man a bottle of whiskey to drink as they drive. 
so we're back up to speed. This is where we kind of. I'm really in. going off this guy, you know. I know. I mean, he has. <laughs> I'm going to give him a bit. chance. <laughs> Let's see so what he... happens next, Hannah. Come on. <laughs> We've all done stuff. So Rouse wants to start fresh, obviously by faking his own death. Now, upon escaping the scene, surprise, he was the man with a briefcase. <gasps> he hitched a ride to London. He was at home with wife number one for 30 minutes. And then he goes off to elope with one of the pregnant chicks that he's banging. This woman, Phyllis Jenkins, is <laughs> Very this... well put, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm speeding it up. You just said it so straight-faced with the way you phrased it. Oh, golly. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> It's this Welsh lady that he's promised to marry and he gets the train to Glamorganshire and she asks him where his car is and why it's taken him 18 hours longer than he said to reach her. Question, what does he tell her? In Glamorganshire, sausages aren't real. That's just a joke for Welsh people. <laughs> no, I'm, it's going to go down. And there's um, a few of them. Does he tell her the truth? Because whilst ah. I don't think it's particularly romantic, mm. I also kind of like, a guy fakes his own death for you? Okay, I'm interested. Yeah, right. Is she addicted <laughs> to drama? What's her deal? Yeah. Rich, any, yes. any either different to that? He got a big order of garters in and he had to sell lots right. of garters. And, it's got a, and he's got some extra money, so Ooh, it was worth it. Yeah, blames extra it on time the work. Taken. Okay, excellent guesses, everybody. He tells her that it was stolen in Northampton. The car was stolen in Northamptonshire. Uh, and then he spins a whole tale about how he's reported it to the police mm-hmm. and there's insurance. And the next morning, Phyllis shows him the newspaper. And on the front of this newspaper is an image of a burnt out car. And the whole article is like speculation about whether the deceased occupant has been the owner, if he's been murdered. And Rouse denies the car in the paper is his and he leaves and he gets the coach from Cardiff to Hammersmith. Question, what does Phyllis Jenkins do next? Ooh. Goes to the Rosers. Goes to the Rosers, dobs him in, turns, turns him, him in. in. Excellent. Any, anything different to that, you guys? Yeah, no, I, I think that she's uh, she's not she's not having it. So yeah, I think she or she follows him. She follows him to Hammersmith to get the follows truth. Follows him, wonderful. Taylor Glenn. My, yeah, my instinct was that she she turns him in or goes to the police. Okay, fantastic. You guys are all correct. You're excellent detectives. Nice job, she, Phyllis. She rats him out to the police. <laughs> so she informs the local police that Rouse has been at her house. And she tells them his intended destination. So they tell the Metropolitan Police of his whereabouts. So consequently, that evening, he's arrested in Hammersmith when he arrives at the coach terminal by the Metropolitan Police. And they've Mm. been waiting for him. Now, at the Hammersmith Police Station, Rouse was informed that the Northampton Police are also coming to interview him. And he spins this whole, he just basically gives this rambling statement. And he says that the victim was a hitchhiker that he'd encountered in St Albans and that he'd accidentally set his vehicle alight. There's this whole thing about how, you know, it was an accident and he was on his way to Scotland Yard because he wanted to confess it all. And, you know, he's like, oh, I'm glad it's over. This isn't what I wanted. I was just saying, it sounds like our son who every time he does anything wrong goes, it was an accident. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. It's chilling. It was an accident. I was walking away with the briefcase uh, rather than putting the fire out yeah, by accident. Yeah. Like, I didn't see where I was going. So he then has immediate trouble when he gets to Northampton Police Station because he contradicts his earlier statement. He claims that he in, in, encountered the hitchhiker in a very different place, mm. uh, go towards the Midlands, and they'd offered him a lift. And then, I mean, that's just an insult to St Albans. and he gets gets this whole bs about this man smoking a cigar and that he was trying to fill the petrol tank with a can of petrol and it all just goes wrong Mm. and he tried to get him out because you know the car's on fire with all the flames but he can't open the door so he just fled in a panic i mean flashes of succession am i right (laughs) but then I mean, he wouldn't he be burnt? Yeah. And you know, why, why isn't his he... hand singed from trying to open the car door? <laughs> yeah. And why yeah, did why the guy's did he take... head come off? And well, why did he take his briefcase to fill up the petrol tank? No, he. This comes up in the court case, and we might not have time for everything. But yeah, basically, at some point, he says. So he's one of his answers to that because he gets cross-examined in the court case, and he says that the reason he had the briefcase was because while he was giving this guy a lift, this guy like started touching the briefcase. So when he got out of the car to fill it with petrol, he took 
cook the briefcase because you just didn't like the way the guy was touching it. Like, it's all very... <laughs> they get all these people in the court case to testify and they get, like, a Morris Minor mechanic to come in and testify. And he's all like, that would never happen. We've built our cars brilliantly and that would never happen. Someone's definitely done that on purpose to start oh, a fire. Oh, boy, never bring in the triple M. Yeah. And then they also bring in all of the loads of the mistresses to kind of establish, oh. uh, you know, financial motivation. That's a good point in the movie. Great point yeah. in this film. Yeah. I hope they like start a clique and they're all just like hang out and together. And then they all become best friends and it's not doors so open. bad that they're yes. all just going to be in poverty forever. <laughs> But he doubles down. He's like, it's accidental fire. This guy had a cigar. He was drunk. So he is formally charged with the murder of an unknown man on the 27th of November. The trial is in January 1931. Mm. And as I've said, all this stuff is like, that's how he got petrol on his clothes. It's like back and forth. Three mistresses were brought in. But he contradicted himself even in the court case. He's a very bad liar for a salesman. He is... <laughs> He, like, forgets what he said. Mm -hmm. There was one thing that was, like, a one of the mis... Yeah, I think it must have been Phyllis said that he arrived at her house on the 6th of November and he smelt of petrol and his eyebrows were slightly scorched. But anyway, the trial lasted for six days and the jury debated for 25 minutes before reaching a verdict. Mm. Question, was he found guilty or not guilty? <laughs> Absolutely guilty. Guilty. I'd yeah. love a 20, yeah, a 20 minute acquittal though. It's, the, it's a very. <laughs> come on, guys. <laughs> I, come on, he said he didn't do it. We've got to trust him. I mean, who Why are we would he to lie? judge? Eh? <laughs> you guys are on it. He is guilty. He's found guilty. He was unanimously found guilty of murder and sentenced to death on the 31st of January. Oh. So on Tuesday, yeah, this is pre 1960, whatever the last man hung for. On Tuesday, the 10th of March 1931, Rouse was hanged in Bedford Jail. Now, he never formally confessed, but he did write a random letter to the some publication called The Daily Sketch, which explained some of it, which is why we have some of the information about the unknown man. So I'm just really quickly going to skim through a couple of pertinent things about this case. The body of the victim was interred in a grave marked with a simple cross bearing the inscription, In memory of an unknown man, died November 6, 1930, and a metal box containing several newspaper accounts of Rouse's trial were buried with the victim. In May 2012, the family of a 23-year-old man named William Briggs, missing since 1930, contacted Northamptonshire Police in the hope that advanced is in, in DNA profiling would provide an identification. Mm. So they went through this whole thing but it wasn't mm. him but like loads of families have tried to see if this is their missing person yeah, but it, it's still missing person it's not been identified wow. for all these people in pain trying to find their families so no one has found it and this case is called the blazing car murder mm. and they have not found who the victim was wow normally we try and raise a glass at the end of an episode why is to Phyllis eh <laughs> Phyllis Jenkins for dobbing him in yeah, yeah bringing him to justice yeah. <laughs> Phyllis James. A Glamorgan sausage is a vegetarian sausage. Ow. Oh. Drunk women solving crime. We're now going to do some emergency questions. Woo! Hooray! I'm excited! Now, this is the part where we would usually ask our audience for a true crime story, but this is Drunk Women Solving Richard Herring. Yeah. No one can solve yeah. me. No can't figure him out. No one can solve you. <laughs> I am and baffled. You've been married to me for 10 years and you don't, you can't solve me. I've got no answers. <laughs> and so I would like to hand over to Richard for this segment. Okay. Woo! I should have looked up ones that had crimes in them, shouldn't I? This is good for you, Katie. Okay. You have a lot of choice with this one. What word are you unable to pronounce out loud? <gasps> oh. like, Taylor's got an answer. Oh, I just have so many of them. Championing. Championing. Fuck. See? That's pretty good. Championing. Championing. Actually, that's quite hard. Championing. Champion. Championing. Championing. It's quite hard. Championing at the bit. I can't say. I can never remember how to say opprobrium, whether it's opprobrium or opprobrium. Oh, yeah. I don't get to say it. Opprobrium. I would say probably. What about orangery? Is it orangery or orangery? Orangery. All right. Orangery. Escape to the Chateau, they pronounce it orangery. But that's Ooh. maybe because it's uh, they're a wee bit French. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
I can't, I don't like, it's not about pronunciation for me. It's more about literally just saying the word wrong in the sense that like, um, right. I remember, what's it, a, a lapel. I called that a lapel. Oh, that was... <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> and it was only like fucking hell. We were doing, I was researching it for a case and it was about somebody that kept a, like a swastika on their lapel who was a kind of like a German spy. This was the Isle of Wight lady. Oh, yeah. And I was telling my boyfriend about it and I was saying, oh, yeah, she had it on her lapel. And like, <laughs> luckily, and he like Aww. looked at me and because I do get things wrong quite a lot, I see a little look in his eye where he's like, I don't want to correct you, but I can see the look and... <laughs> and, and I'm so pleased to do because obviously if I'd said yeah, it you can at the show, it from other people, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um... <laughs> so I read, a, I think it was from that Fesshole Twitter account, but someone saying that they it took them till they're 28 years old to realise that having failed their cycling proficiency badge didn't mean they. They thought they weren't allowed to cycle out on the road because they'd failed their cycling proficiency. But someone must have, they must have gone, oh, I'm, sorry, I can't join you. I haven't got my cycling proficiency. They go, what are you talking about? Oh, God, man, that could have been me. I didn't put it on Fesshole, but that's certainly what I thought when I failed. Was it? Did you fail, Katie? Yeah. <gasps> no. I was like the only kid that failed. Oh, mate. Maybe one other kid failed. I will do another question. Here's one that's vaguely crime-related, but probably the answer is no. Have you ever taken a lie detector test? Yes. She got you. She got you, Katie. She got oh, you. It doesn't. It's pretty easy to in, Have you ever... Uh, I was called up to be in a identity parade when Ooh. I was... And I was just walking around as I think I'd just finished being a student and a policeman asked us, Ooh. I think we got paid £10 to go and stand an wow. identity for And then the, the woman picked out the wrong person. She didn't pick oh, out really? the Did she, she pick you? She didn't pick me. I don't think, I, you know, it was me and my friend. I can't remember even which friend it was, but we'd have looked like children, innocent children. But we all laughed because she picked the wrong person. And we we knew who the right person was because he came in yeah. you know, with policemen in, in handcuffs. <laughs> and, then, wow. and then was and then was uh, let out the handcuffs. So he oh, found it quite funny. I think it was definitely him that did it. But he found it wow. quite funny that she hadn't uh, picked him out. Do you remember what the crime was? No, I can't remember. I hope it was like really traumatic. I'm not sure, <laughs> we, were, I'm not sure we were even told what the crime was, but we, you know. And, uh, we all joke with the guy being picked out that he had to go into prison and stuff. But... Oh my god! Yeah. So there you go. Is that how they do that though? For like lineups, they'll literally find you from around the street. I think they just yeah. I think they just go and find people who vaguely fit. They don't like have a casting agency to go right. Let's get ten guys who look exactly <laughs> like the description. Do you know you're, know, of, you're not trying amazing. to get because the, the, the police are not Actors trying to would do it. The police aren't <laughs> trying to get the person off. You know what I mean? So they actually just need ten people who vaguely resemble the yeah, you know, are yeah the I, right the right sex because we weren't even we we're all different heights and everything. So it mm. wasn't like let's make it let's make it difficult. They're not That's trying one to... of my nightmares though. If I got picked for up. one and we're supposed to vaguely look alike, and I'd be like, oh my god, they're <laughs> horrific looking. <laughs> yeah. Is this what you think I look like? <laughs> when everyone says I look like Charlie Borman, who's going to be a guest on Hellastopa soon, and I, you know, I find him quite an unattractive man. So very upset. Well, you're going to open with that. I'm going to get it. Yeah. I need you to telling. tell me to, to put on some braces and then I'll know if he's sexy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is an official one, but I've always wanted to ask you, what is the worst crime you three young ladies have committed yourself? Ooh, Ooh good one. I used to shoplift quite a lot. <laughs> I still still pick and mix. I one pick and mix whenever I go to a pick and mix <laughs> on principle. On principle, what is the principle? <laughs> they're too expensive, so they should they they're stealing from us. So I'm like the Robin Hood of pick and mixes. I steal from the pick and mix rich people and give to me. <laughs> and give it to, me. Give right, to myself. Right. What do you go for? Do you try to go for the most valuable pick and mix? No, no, what, I just what go, is, I well, just that would be the heaviest, would it? What is mm. the most valuable? Well, probably those giant gobstoppers would be the biggest score if you were going to do that. They could those big gobstoppers of that, but they're quite hard yeah. to steal. Harder to steal. <laughs> is that a gobstopper in your pocket? The one I went for is like the cola bottle, but it tastes of like bubble gum. That one, it's a sort of bubbly gum. Uh-huh. I haven't done it for a little while because pick and mixes have been closed for two years. It's like because you've them... stolen so much. I've taken so many that they're all going out of business. Yeah, but also now people, people, aren't, people aren't allowed to touch 
sweets anymore. It's, you know, it's the big victim of COVID. That yeah. industry has gone down. I stole an industrial-sized tin of black olives. Wow! From my school huge. cafeteria kitchen. Brilliant! Just because I wanted to. Yeah. And I really like black olives, but we didn't have any fridges. Like, <laughs> so I hung this giant can of olives out my window for a little while, but there's nothing like if you ever want to quit olives, get as many olives as you can and just have your face in them all the time. It put me off olives for years. Wow. <laughs> so there you go. That's so like, so what are you rebelling against? What are you up? <laughs> Boarding school. The best stealing crimes are when you steal things you don't need or want. <laughs> yeah. Just for the thrill. So I, when I choplifted, I did often take things. I, I was quite depressed when I choplifted in my early 20s. And I, it was embarrassingly late. And I'd often take things I didn't need or want. I stole a hairdryer that we actually still use in our house. <laughs> what? That's, that's levelled up for a fucking jelly bean, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't really need a hairdryer. Wow. I just did it because I thought it was quite an impressive thing to steal. You wouldn't be able to uh, to do that now. now. Yeah. Man, you can't It was a cheap. You can't buy a house, you can't <laughs> steal a hairdryer. God, I thought this crime you shared was brutal, but whew. Yeah. Some heroin <laughs> truths. Which hairdryer is it? It's a little grey one. I think we still use it for one of the uh, ah. I think we still got it somewhere. What about you, Katie? What crimes have you committed? I did steal an eyeshadow. Wow. Oh. So tiny. <laughs> what was what color was it? I must know the uh, color. I'm feeling blue. Yeah, it was blue. Yeah. I mean, there's only like three choices, so I was it was a good chance I was gonna guess. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I've stolen bananas. No one steals brown quite Stole, recently. Stolen you know bananas? You, yeah, because you know you have to wave them when you do the self-checkout. Yeah. And it's like a faff. So I was like, just put them to one side because I didn't do it last. I, d- I can't believe this is the episode that we find out that you I'm guys are both a- going to hell. This is yeah. <laughs> The herrings go to hell. What the a last, podcast the that'll last be. last few times I've paid for the bananas. It was just okay. this little glitch. I've never shoplifted. But I do, re- I do remember when I was a teenager, I went shopping in like a clove shop with my mum and then we walked out having paid for our goods but you know sometimes you walk out and the alarm will go off because mm. sometimes they leave a tag on mm. and so we walked out and the alarm went off and rather than just walking back inside I thought it'd be funny I turned to my mum and I just went leg it and ran off and my <laughs> poor mum was stood there she was so annoyed with me it was great so I guess no uh, no crimes but just great great pranks great bands oh. yeah I oh. thought you'd have done the worst crimes out of everyone there Hannah I'm disappointed well, Hannah yeah. Hannah's the well-adjusted one. Yeah, that's what we think. But she, we will, she, we will unearth the like right. horrific you, crimes. I've never looked to, in your freezer. Do you know for what? A start. Hannah, Hannah did confess a terrible crime on a different episode when she brutally killed that worm. Oh, oh yeah, she yeah. fried a worm by mistake. I fried a worm. It was an accident. To quote your son. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to ask you, have you ever killed a mouse? But I was going to change it into, what's the biggest thing you've ever killed? So is a wow. worm the, is a worm the biggest thing you've killed? It was a really big worm, and that yeah. was its downfall because I wanted to keep it to um, take it home. So I put it on a wall, and it just fried in the, in the sun, in the, which was in the awful. middle of summer. Yeah, it was oh. awful. I've, I've always felt bad about that poor no, little you, worm. Cl- when you first told um, the story, you clearly felt so bad, like you're thank you. exonerated. Like I, but the biggest think. thing I've killed is a horse. <laughs> no, wow. I'm only joking. I'm only yeah. joking. <laughs> the biggest thing I've ever killed is this episode. Am I right? <laughs> Oh, this has been fun, guys. Yeah. Amazing. Hooray. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining us, Richard Harris. Yes, thank you. I'll see you you in bed later. (laughs) Hannah. You know. (laughs) After I've eaten Taylor's ass. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, that's it for this epic mashup. Thanks so much for listening. It's been great. But before we go, here's an important message from Comic Relief. Red Nose Day is back on Friday 18th of March 2022. You you can make a difference and have a laugh doing it. You have the power to change lives. Whether you sponsor a friend's fun run, donate to dress up, hit the bake sale hard or simply text in from your sofa, every donation makes a difference. Whether it's a little or a lot, the money you donate will help tackle poverty, take action against violence and bring an end to discrimination. Red Nose Day is built on the power of 
laughter and making a difference. And we've never needed that power more. If you can, please give £10 this Red Nose Day and support people living incredibly tough lives. Text PODCAST to 70210 and donate £10 today. Text costs your donation amount plus your standard network message charge and 100% of your donation will go to Comet Relief, a registered charity. You must be 16 or over and please ask the bill payers permission. For full terms and conditions, visit cometrelief.com slash podcast mashup. Drunk Women Solving Crime is produced by Amanda Redman. Music by The Lion and the Wolf. If you would like to, you can follow us on Drunk Women Pod on Twitter. On Facebook and Insta, we are Drunk Women Solving Crime. And please review us on Apple Podcasts. And also, if you have a crime that you would like us to solve, write it on a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Thank you to ACAS and thank you for listening. Bye! Hey, Hannah. What's better than Drunk Women Solving Crime? I mean... Absolutely nothing. Ooh, I know. Drunk Women Solving Crime Live. That's one point to Taylor. Whatever, I won an Emmy. (laughs) Catch us live at our monthly London residency at Covent Garden Studios. Next show is Thursday, March 24th. It's a double header, so you'll get to see two guests and two episodes recorded. Which means a delightful second recording in the flesh. Get your tickets from our website, drunkwomensolvingcrime.com or straight from dice.fm. Be there or be square. Sassy Katie. You know it, bitches. Live show. Live show. Live shows. <laughs>